Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Pat Donovan and joining me tonight is Joe Saunders and we are Sands, Nick Ligatino, the Yeti. We booted him off the show tonight. Thank God. Thank God. He was, he was an absolute mess. Yeah, well... It was entertaining for a little while, but it went downhill fast. Yeah, we're here to give you some fantasy advice, not not other advice. Yeah. <laughs> Lesson learned. When Nick starts talking about negative walk rates. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's, it's time to give him the boot. Oh, man. Okay, so before we get into our starting pitching preview tonight, Joe... Um, I know we're both involved in the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. Um, I'm in League 6. I'm not positive which league you're currently in. I'm in 18. 18. All right. And I believe there's something like 20-plus leagues, right? So there's a significant amount of industry league representation um, in this uh, sort of collection of leagues. Um, Do you have any kind of thoughts, generally speaking, because we're going to review the drafts at some point, but just some general thoughts for the listeners as to what you've seen thus far and anything that they can take away from it. Yeah. So speed has been um, pretty expensive and I'm in round 11 right now. And just now are we starting to really deviate from ADPs Um, prior to that? Everyone's been kind of falling in line for the most part. Yeah. And I should clarify, I mean, these are 15 team leagues and it's roto formatted, so you know you don't have any playoffs or anything like that. Yeah, no winner, DL, two catchers. Yeah, winner take all. No trading. Um, so super deep draft is super important, um, and and yeah, I, I've seen the same sort of stuff, Joe. I mean, the speed has been very expensive and gone very quickly, um, and I and I suspect a lot of that has to do with the overall component of it. Um, where you can't simply punt the category or sort of be mediocre at it. You've got to be above average in order to win the overall. Um, and, and the industry has, as they have done throughout the last couple of years, really placed a premium on speed, and you're seeing it in this format. I mean, it doesn't change my opinion of it as an asset in your everyday leagues, and particularly in a league with a playoff component um you know i still think that it's overrated but it's kind of forced us to buy in at prices where we're not as comfortable buying in um which you know i mean from one instance i i saw matt chapman in out there in excess of pick 100 and i was pulling my hair out about the fact i couldn't take him (laughs) because i just couldn't I couldn't deal with taking another player that just didn't provide any kind of stolen bases at that point. Um, so, you know, that was, that was frustrating, but it has been interesting to see that. But I do think that I have a little bit more insight into where that sort of steals obsession comes from now, um, as opposed to how we normally view it. Okay. So starting pitching preview part one, let's kick it off with Max Scherzer. 5.88 ADP. He's at the top of the heap. And is he at the top of the heap for you? Yeah, short answer is yes. Long answer is yes. Yes, he's really good. And he should be number one on your board, in my opinion. Yes. Um, he's been dominant 
he's continued to be dominant, um, and there's no real reason to expect him to slow down at this point. Okay, so with that settled, let's move to Jacob DeGrom, 11.31. And we're going to look at him in connection with Chris Sale, who's going off at 15.15. So who do you prefer, the NL Cy Young winner or Boston's ace? Yeah, so um, in in a regular 5x5 five five format, I prefer DeGrom. Um, I expect the win totals to come up. Um, that was just extraordinarily fluky. Like probably historically fluky. It was just the it was just the Mets. Yeah, but still historically <laughs> fluky. I mean, he had a, a historically low ERA and couldn't buy a win. But uh, with that said, I think in a K to walk league, um, sales should get a little bit more uh, interest here um, because the K K per nine or, and K percentage is going to be so so high. Um, you know, upwards of like thirteen K per nine. Uh, the K to walk will just be elite, elite. And even if he doesn't hit 200 innings, like DeGrom probably will, um, he still might eclipse him in, in strikeouts. So that's the only format where I, I'd, I'd consider Sale over DeGrom. Otherwise, it's DeGrom all the way. Yeah, I've got DeGrom over Sale by the slimmest of margins. And what this comes down to, to me is um, two factors. One, um, I want the NL pitcher. Um, two is... I worry about Sale's shoulder. I mean, we saw him get hurt at the end of the year. He came back. The velocity wasn't the same. He pitched in the playoffs. He didn't work beyond, I believe, five innings in any start. Or at minimum, I know he didn't crack six. Um, so, and he wasn't, you know, outstanding in, in, in those innings. So, um, I'm not terribly worried about him from – you know, he's number three on my board, so it's not something that's causing me to push him down. It's just I'll take DeGrom, who I think is a better bet for health. Um, you know, I've told you, I've spoken to you about DeGrom many times, and I think he's got the best mechanics in the game. Um, he's extremely smooth, um, plus velo. He's got the arsenal. Obviously, he does. He wouldn't have produced the results that he did last year if he didn't. Um, so by the slimmest of margins, I'll take DeGrom. That'll bring us to fourth overall, Justin Verlander, 21.93. I know he seems ageless, but he's 36 now. Does the age factor in at all when you look at some of the other arms on the board? Yeah, so not for me. Um, right, We're at like 240-plus innings of uh, this new Verlander with the Astros. Um, you know, he's got an excellent fastball, the curveball and slider to, to, to mix. The curveball is elite. The fastball is elite. Um, I'm just not really all that worried about Verlander, um, especially when it comes to age. I mean, I think, right, Sales in his 30s, Kluber's in his 30s, who's we'll talk about next. Um, I know Verlander's a little bit older than both of them, um, but I'm just not very worried at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally believe that Verlander's got a rubber arm, and if I didn't, I wouldn't have him inside my top 10. But I do view this particular pitching class is pretty top heavy and we're sort of splitting hairs with a lot of these guys. So when I'm viewing at him relative to the other guys that we're going to talk about in the next few picks, I, I do worry about the age to that extent. I mean, it's a lot of miles on the arm. Um, you know, we've seen guys with rubber arms before, 
with brother arms fall off before uh, seemingly out of nowhere. So, and we've already seen Verlander sort of struggle in the past, um, struggle to maintain his mechanics, uh, struggle with velocity. Uh, so, I mean, I, I do have some degree of concern relative to where he's going, but he's still squarely inside the top 10 for me. Um, you know, I, I do believe that he'll be solid. I do believe that, you know, the Strohs have sort of figured out something um, mechanically with him and he's took it and ran with it. Uh, I wouldn't be stunned if he's, you know, a top three starter in the slightest, but I do think that the age provides a significant enough red flag that he falls a little bit further down my board than um, number four overall. Yeah, the, the one quick thing I wanted to add to um, we I, I mentioned this to you before, right, is that uh, he's eclipsed, I think, 2,700-plus inning regular season innings, and then coupled with the uh, – the playoffs, it's probably upwards of like, you know, 2,900 or so. Um, so he's probably well beyond the point of where you'd normally be worried about a pitcher um, and his arm falling off. So I think at this point, Verlander's probably just an anomaly. Yeah, but it is it is like I always say. I mean, you're hurt until you're not, right? Yep. I mean, you're, you're healthy until you're not, I should yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that backwards, but you know, like your, your, your health track record only takes you so far. So, I mean, I, I just don't buy into that all that much. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a stud though. I mean, all these guys are studs. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Corey Kluber, 23.79, the reliable old veteran who has five consecutive 200-plus inning seasons, or Aaron Nola, 23.93, literally going within one pick. Who do you want, the young breakout or the reliable old veteran who is higher on your board? Yeah, sure. So it's Kluber, and it's not particularly close, in fact. Um, I was all over Nola last year being the high man on the podcast, but I'm a little bit concerned going into this year. His strand rate last year was 82.5%. Um, and he had a bat pip of 251 despite the awful Philly defense last year. Now, the defense is better this year with guys like Segura and McCutcheon, but um, there's no doubt that he was lucky last year, whereas Kluber is uh, automatic 200-plus innings. Um, the, the cutter velo is slowly slowing down, but it's not a very good pitch anyway, um, and his swing strike rate is the lowest since 2014, but still, um, he he'll be in the you know three point two, three point three ERA range, two hundred innings. Um, just just lock it up. Give me Kluber. Yeah, I'll take Kluber as well. I mean, normally I would default to the younger NL pitcher, but I think the AL Central will be a friendlier division than the NL East. Um, Kluber has plus control, good swing and miss stuff, twelve percent swing strike rate. So even in a down year, he was still posting. Um, pretty elite with percentages. He's got the five consecutive seasons of 200 plus innings. So he's an innings horse. He's got the two plus breakers. That's the key that plays off a decidedly below average fastball on Nola. I mean, the fastball took a nice step forward. He also gets ground balls at a 50 plus percent clip. Uh, the control is good. 
It's not as good as Kluber's. Um, and there is some room for regression there. I mean, the Babbitt was obviously high. The strand rate was obviously high. Um, and I, I just don't know that there's a ton more upside to Nola uh, beyond what he did last year. I mean, I would think that he would have to add a pitch or adjust something to sort of take another step forward. Um, and I think that this is sort of paying for something that hasn't happened yet. So I take a pass on him. Yeah, and with no, and the important thing here, right, is like with no real clear signs of that step being possible. Yeah, yeah. There's no right. It's not like it, ba- like Bauer's second half of last year, or you know Verlander's second half of last year. You know. Or, yeah, it's it's just sort of betting on a, a linear growth pattern that Nola has um, sort of projected. You know, oh, well, he came up and he was good. Oh, well, then in his second year, he was great. Oh, well, now this year he'll be a lead. He'll be better, yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, you can get into trouble with that, um, especially when there's some room for him to regress from what he did last year. Yep. Okay, so Garrett Cole, 26.97, an amazing start. He was a little worse in the second half on results. Do you have any hesitation at this price? Uh, yeah, so no. I mean, obviously, I was I was also the high man on Cole. I bought into the to the Astro Voodoo Magic. So his horizontal release point changed ever so slightly in the second half, which could explain some of the issues that he ran into. Um, but all told, I don't think he's you know one walk one's walk per nine first half good, as well as fo- like upwards of four walk walks per nine second half bad. Um, so I think at the end of the day, it'll be a, a largely rinse and repeat year for him. Um, you know, high twos, maybe very, very low threes ERA, around a 12K per nine. Um, it's money in the bank with Cole. Yeah, I've got him in front of Nola and Verlander, so I'm definitely not worried about the price. I don't think he can escape the combination of pedigree results and youth. A 14.1% swing strike rate is outstanding. The fastball played up as a plus pitch. It was close to a 30p valve. And it's very simple what happened. The Astros encouraged him to utilize the upper half of the zone and outside the zone while slightly de-emphasizing his fastball usage and shifting from the from the cut from the uh, sinker to the four seam. Um, and, and that's the point where I think Cole sort of becomes interesting. Um, while I think his year was decidedly better than Nola's last year. I think there's also some room for um, not necessarily growth, but room for him to adjust to the league, adjusting to him. He still threw the fastball 56% of the time. Um, You know, I could imagine a world where he's throwing it somewhere between five to 7% less and relying a little bit more on his breaking stuff and seeing very similar results to what he saw last year. Um, So, I mean, I'm, I'm totally in at this price. I think that Cole is, an ace, and he's he's going to be at the top uh, echelon of the league now for the next few years. Uh, Blake Snell, 30.03. This was one of our guys last year. What can he do for an encore following 2018's youth season? Yeah, I'm a little worried about Snell. Uh, the strand rate was astronomical. It was uh, 88% last year, and the BAPIP was very, very low. We expected good things, but I don't think we expected this good um, with the sub two ERA. I did. did yeah. Okay. 
you know, so um, I, I think the ways he can improve is he can continue to improve the walk rate, which was a huge step forward that he took with the shift on the mound. But even even with an improvement, I think some of those some of those peripherals have to, you know, bring him back down to earth a little bit. Um, so I do not have snow this high. I have snow at 12. Um, so I'm not buying into this ADP. Yeah, I've got him outside the top 10 as well. Um, obviously not, again, with the caveat that I it's not that I don't like Snell. It's just I see some paths of regression. Um, you know, obviously the strand rate was very high, as you mentioned. Uh, he still does uh, exhibit the control issues that have struck him before. It is a very difficult division to pitch in, especially when you're not starting for either Boston or the Yankees. Um, you've got to face those two lineups a bunch. Um, that's a that's a tough task for any pitcher, um, you know. But Snell, more so, I think what we should take from this is how the adjustments can come fast for pitchers and they can be slight. Um, you know, Snell has always had that, <clears throat> always had plus stuff, and it's always been a, a command issue. And he made some very slight mechanical changes and moved where he was on the rubber and lo and behold had a, a Cy Young caliber season. Um, so when we're, when we're talking about mechanical changes and we're talking about tweaks and you're, you're hearing about them, <clears throat> it's, it's so important to keep an eye on that sort of stuff um, as, a, as a sign of things to come. Or as the um, sort sort of a a path to potential being achieved, um, you know, it's the sort of thing that seems minor, but it could unlock a, a pitcher's um, potential and, and lead them to the type of season that Snell saw. And and so often we're focused on new pitches. Um, Sometimes it's not a matter of new pitches. Sometimes it's a matter of just a tweak here and a tweak there, and lo and behold, the pitchers found it. Okay, so let's move it to Trevor Bauer at 34.48. A long-foretold breakout came in 2018. Do you think Bauer is the next Max Scherzer, as in he's going to sustain this level of success that he found a little later in his career than usual, or is he more Robbie Ray where he's a one-year wonder? Yeah, Bauer's definitely, definitely more Scherzer than Robbie Ray. Um, first, right, Bauer's got a ton of pitches. He's got five pitches, uh, specifically the slider-cutter combo. Um, he's definitely a clear ace. He doesn't have any of the walk problems that Ray had or BAPIP issues, right? So he's definitely not a one-year wonder. Bauer's Bowers as legit as it gets. Um, you know, he's, he's mindful of... Uh, of making mechanical tweaks, making pitch mix tweaks. Um, and he's found the perfect mix finally. So um, I have no fears about Bauer. He had a fluke injury and in in that broken leg. Um, I expect him to get upwards of 200 innings. Um, I mean, obviously you can't predict injury, but um, if, you know, if everything goes right, he should have no problem getting close to 200 innings. And like you mentioned before, the division's piss poor week. So Bauer should be, uh, ready, set, go as an ace. 
Yeah, I, I think he's more Scherzer than Ray as well. I mean, I, I've always found the Scherzer comp interesting when it came to him because we always saw this pedigree um, and the potential in him. And that's right around the time that Scherzer broke out was 28. And this is Bauer's age 28 season. So um, it, it's sort of an interesting comp between the two. I, I don't think that Bauer is going to achieve the level of sustained excellence that Scherzer is going to achieve. Uh, or has achieved, but I, I do think that Bauer can become cl can come close to that. Um, he's always had the pedigree, as you mentioned. He's always been a guy that's tinkered with his arsenal. He's found the mix now that works, um, and he's also found the command to go with it. Uh, four off speed pitches and breakers, fifteen percent whiffs um, on those pitches. He de-emphasized the sinker, and he's also got pitches that have extreme ground ball and fly ball um, tendencies, which allows him to get the outs that he wants when he wants them, even if they're not strikeout pitches. Um, so if guys get on, he can induce the ground ball, get the double play. If guys aren't on base and he just wants to um, find his way uh, into a fly ball out where he can't get the guy to swing and miss, uh, he can do that via his mix. Um, so it's a, it's a really nice package overall. And Joe, as you mentioned, I mean, the, the division is as favorable as it gets with soft opponents. So even if you do see a little bit of skill space regression, I don't expect it to affect him, um, you know, all that much. I, I think that what we saw last year uh, probably is on the high end, but I, I do expect that Bauer is going to finish the year um, relatively close to his draft price. Let me let me ask you something. Uh, sure. Bauer or Snell? Bauer, definitely. Bauer or Cole? Cole, but I have Cole. I'm probably the high man on Cole. Okay, and Bauer or Nola? Bauer. Okay, I'm with you on all three of this. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I'm pretty pretty sound on all those. I don't have to. I don't have to think much about it. Nope. Yeah, I'm okay. with you. All right. All right, so Luis Severino, 10, 36.24. Um, so, Joe, I'm going to talk about the second half. I'm happy to take this one first since I've sure. taken the last few, uh, since you've taken the last few. Um, so the second half was obviously ugly. I think he lost some feel for his slider, and the fastball's not good enough to carry the day. He doesn't trust the changeup. Um, so it's, it's a little bit more than a show-me pitch at this point. So – it's just a situation where and we've seen this with Masahiro Tanaka where he, where, where the Yankee pitcher loses their bread and butter. They don't have the arsenal to sort of avoid the big blowups. And we saw it. I mean, it was a 5.97 ERA. Um, he still had a decent K rate in the second half, but he was just hammered on balls and playing with home runs. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not terribly worried about Severino. He's got a full offseason, sort of figure it out. I mean, there was some speculation he also might have been tipping his pitches. I do expect him to regain the feel for the pitch. Um, and the Yankees are the Yankees coaching staff has been very, very good with their pitchers. So I think whatever has gone wrong, they'll figure out. But when it comes to Severino, you're also looking at a guy that might have that very elite top end type upside, but when you put him in Yankee Stadium, 
and you put him in a situation where he's only got the one elite pitch with the slider, and even with the premium velocity, the fastball can't carry the day when the slider's not there. He's got he's got somewhat of a low floor at this price. I mean, you know, me and you have gone back and forth on on Nola a couple of times, and I, to me, I think Nola epitomizes the perfect um, line when it comes to Severino where Nola might lack the elite top-end upside, he's got sort of a safe floor where Severino has that top-end upside, but I think his floor is beyond where I would put Nola's worst-case outcome. Yeah, I, I very, very much agree with that. I have them back-to-back at 10 and 11. Um, I have Severino over Nola at Severino at 10, Nola at 11. Um, and I'm with you, right? And I think it's it's a perfect comp because, right, I agree with you. Nola's probably got the much safer floor. But Severino, you know, if he can if he can figure out, first of all, how to keep, keep control and command of his slider the whole year, and if he can work on the changeup even more, right, the upside, there's like a clear path to even more upside. Whereas Nola's probably already maxed out last year uh but even at his worst you know he's very safe at the end of the day i feel pretty good taking either of them if if i had to i just wouldn't take either of them over the guys that we've talked about already yes yeah i would agree with that okay let's move to carlos carrasco 36.87 do you view carrasco as part of the ace class or is he the start of a new tier yeah, he's definitely part of the ace class. I mean, I agree. it's kind of like more or less what we said about Kluber, right? It's not really that good of a fastball. Excellent, excellent secondary stuff. Weak division. Um, he'll get close to 200 innings. He, he's gotten close the past two years. Um, you know, he had some fluky injuries in the past, not so fluky injuries in the past. A combination. Yeah, he two. loves to get hit with line drives. Yeah, but the last That's two like years, the last two years, he's been pretty good. Um, so yeah, he's definitely still an ace. Yeah, I definitely view him as part of the ace tier. I, I think he's sort of similar to Nola in that. I don't really see a path to him breaking into like that top three or four, but I also don't really see a path to him falling outside of the top. 15 to 20. Yep. I think he's got a really, really sound floor. I think he's a great stabilizer um, in terms of your rotation. Um, you know, you mentioned the fastball being not great, but I mean, when you look at him and Kluber alongside, Kluber's fastball is worse. Um, I do trust Kluber's command a little more, and I do like Kluber a little bit more. But again, I mean, when it comes to those two, like you're sort of, you're picking. They're excellent pitchers, and even if there is some sort of skill decline that occurs, uh, being that they're getting on in years, the division will more than make up for it because, it, it, frankly, it's just going to be a really bad division in terms of hitters. It's awful. So it's not a it's not a bad spot to to place your lot, given the fact that you know you're going to get 18 starts against each of the Royals, the Tigers, and the White Sox. And, you know, the White Sox are basically Manny Machado's friends without Manny Machado. So <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be pretty good going right there. Yeah. <clears throat> All 
All right, so Walker Bueller, 12th, 38.51. Market is certainly buying in a big way. Do you have any reservations at this price, or are you all in on Walker Bueller? Yeah, so uh, Bueller, he's armed with five or six pitches, depending on the depending on the classification, right? It's like fastball sinker sort of thing. So the arsenal is clearly deep. Um, he pitched a total of 176 innings last year, including the playoffs and the minors. And watching him during the playoffs, I, I know this is sort of like the playoff tax co coming into this, but he just looked very poised and ready to take the ace role um, for the Dodgers. I mean, it's it's really no longer Kershaw. It's, it's Walker Bueller. Um, he's excellent. Uh, I have... I've, no reservations in the innings. I know there's some concern, right, that a year after such a huge increase in innings, um, he might deteriorate a little bit, but I'm not really worried. He's so young, um, and again, he's got a great pitch mix. He's got an arsenal of pitches to use. Um, I'm in. Yeah, I mean, the arsenal is super deep. Um, he's able to generate grounders at a 50% clip on top of generating whiffs plus ballpark, plus division, NL. Um, there's a lot to like here. Uh, I admittedly was skeptical at first of having him at this price. The more I dug in, the more I said, well, you know, you can't, you, you can't discount him that much given the pieces that he has. Um, I certainly view him as a part of the ace tier. I personally have him in front of Cinder. I personally have Cindergard in front of him, I should say. So but I. I have no issue with Bueller going um, at at a relative at a cost relative to this. And I don't have any issue with calling him an ace. Um, he's actually the end of the ace tier in my mind. Do you have anybody else that you view within that class, Joe? Uh, you're saying Syndergaard's the last one or Bueller's the last Bueller's one? Bueller's my last one. Uh, yes, because I have Syndergaard ahead of him too. So okay. yes, I agree. Okay. All right, so Kershaw, 38.62. So, I mean, we've, we know what the news has said, or at least if you haven't, we'll, we'll tell you. Um, Kershaw went to throw a bullpen. Uh, they, there were reports that he was unhappy with it. Then he went and he got a few days off, he came back, he played catch, still wasn't feeling great. Now he's been shut down. Um, and there's all sorts of questions as to what's going on and what the implications are. Um, so Kershaw's obviously headed down the board. I can tell you this, the TGFBI, the Great Fantasy Baseball ADP, places him at 52 with a low pick of 90. Where are you on Kershaw? Are you in line with that ADP or do you have him further down? And let's say the best case scenario happens. Let's say uh, a week from now he's evaluated. They say he's good to go. He starts throwing. And there's an estimated time frame by the third week of March that says, all right, Kershaw is going to be ready to go April 15th. Where does he fall on your board? Okay, so uh, the first question is 90. 
um, about where I have him. That's probably about right. I have him as my 28th pitcher right now. I am considering still moving him down a little bit further. Um, but right now, I'm probably right at where the new market is. So that's the first question. Second question, in regards to, uh, you know, if if it's best case scenario, I don't actually think I move him up all that much. And the reason being is is that I can – I know I know we're very bad at predicting injuries. Um, and I'm trying to be much more – much less risk averse this year, but um, I can totally see what ends up happening is that Kershaw is on and off the DL all year, whether it's his back or his elbow or something else. And the Dodgers play starting pitcher roulette, but this time Kershaw's actually hurt and we get very little indication of when he's actually coming back. And it's very frustrating to own him. And he ends up pitching only something like 90 to 110 innings. Um, I just don't see how he ends up throwing like 160 innings this year. Um, And again, I know, right, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not very good at projecting. But I, I don't know. Even at 28, there's names that I'd feel more comfortable taking than an already hurt Kershaw. Well, let me let me start off at the at the end of what you said, and I, I think you sort of touched upon a lot of things that I've preached, which are, you know, don't be scared off by injury. We don't know as much as we think we do, um, etc. Right? Like that was sort of that was sort of what you were responding to, and that generally has been. Um, my credo when it comes to this sort of view of the fantasy baseball landscape. But this is the one exception. And I've said this before. The exception is when already you're, hurt. you're already hurt. Sure. Um, and I, I do not like, I do not like guys that get hurt in spring training. I do not like guys that get hurt before the year begins. Um, I don't mind it when a guy's coming off an off-season injury. Yeah. I don't mind it when a guy's got injuries in his past because I think that tends to create values. Um, when a guy is hurt before the year begins, it's much more of a red flag to me. It almost never works out. Yeah, it almost never works out. The only example I can think of is Cole Hamels a few years ago um, when he was still with the Phillies. I remember that he had like a forearm strain and um, everybody like – panicked thinking it was going to be TJ and he came out and had a very fun year, but um, there are very few and far between examples where it ends up paying off. Um, When it comes to where I am on Kershaw, I'm a little bit higher than you. I've got him at 23. Um, I actually moved. I think I've got him actually 24. Excuse me. I moved Madison Bumgarner in front of him. Madison Bumgarner is the last pitcher that I have in front of him at this point. I don't know how much higher I can get him. I'm with you on that. Um, I would struggle to get him inside the top 20, and that's because I that's my top 20. <laughs> I, I like those pitchers, you know, like sure. it's not it's not a matter of um, I'm short on guys. It's not like when you get to 40 and you're just yeah. arranging the bottom 60 in whatever order you see fit. Um, it, it's it's 
it's going to be hard for Kershaw to crack that group because now the risk is the reality, right? Like uh, before this began, I was sitting there saying to myself, fine, give me the Kershaw shares. Yeah, me too. Him, you want to push him below Walker Bueller? That's fine. Give him to me. I want him. And now it's like, all right, well, the risk is the reality. He's he's hurt now. And there's this likelihood he's not going to start the season on time. And there's the very real reality that we're looking at a season where there's multiple DL stints, like you said, they do dodgeritis in an attempt to either keep him healthy or he's he's hurt on and off. Um, it's it's a really tough pill to swallow. Um, I, I, I could see him going even lower for me, depending on what the news is. I mean, obviously, if he's out for the year, he's out for the year. But, um, but it, that is kind of at that line where I'm starting to say to myself, well, what the hell do I do with these pitchers? You know, <laughs> what yeah, order yeah. do I put them in? I'm going to, I'm going to uh, put you on the spot here. Go ahead. And make you, make you do something that I know you hate doing. Good. But okay. If you had to put them in a bracket, less than 90 innings pitched 90 to 120, 120 to 140 or 140 plus. I would put him in 120 to 140 at this moment. I think he's in the rich hill range. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, so like I have him at 110, and that's probably the discrepancy between you having him at 23 and me having him at 28. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a little more open to the idea that he ticks a little bit beyond that. Um, I don't. I don't see a world right now where he's beyond one, much beyond 150, though. Yeah, no. No, Frank, because I probably had him at 160, just baking in, like, probably a back injury again. Yeah, see, I probably had him – my top end was probably, like, 175, 180. So. Okay. And that explains the – we're talking, like, 20 innings, which is three starts. Sure. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think that's I think that's where you have to view Kershaw. I think that – I think the great fantasy baseball ADP is, is a decent measure to start with, but I think – it's being propped up some by some auto picks. Yeah, definitely. He got auto picked in mine. So you know you're you're looking at a situation where probably the mi- probably the max pick is closer to where um, you'll end up with him as opposed to the min or the actual ADP, which is being manipulated by the auto picks. <laughs> okay, so let's move to Noah Syndergaard, forty two point one three. So I asked this with Carrasco already, and I believe that we've already answered it. Um, is Syndergaard the end of the ace tier? I think we've both said that no, because we have him in front of Bueller, and Bueller's the end, right? Yep. So what do you think about the injury question here? Is that is that a major concern for you? Nah, I don't care. I used to care. I don't care anymore. Um, I'm I convinced you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, bu- I'm buying the upside, right? Like. Any any single one of these guys we've talked about so far, except for maybe Verlander, <laughs> can die. Because he's thrown a billion innings. That sounds logic. Because his, his arm is rubber. No, but really, any one of these guys we've talked about can, can you know, have a forearm strain and have Tommy John tomorrow. Um, so you just got to be chasing upside here. And Syndergaard's got plenty of it, right? He's he's uh, been close to 30 30% K percentage in the past. Um, it's been a little while since he's been that 
been that high. It was 2016. Um, but even still, you know, 17 was a 17 was a loss year. 18, um, he, he still managed to pitch 154 innings. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm expecting big things from Syndergaard this year. And he's only 26. Like, it's so easy to forget that he's only 26. It sounds like he's been along for a long time, been, been in the league for a long time. He was a pretty highly talented prospect. Um, you know, his name was mentioned as a Blue Jay often. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally okay with owning Syndergaard as my one. Yeah, it's it's sort of funny. I, I feel like the injury concerns with Syndergaard might be a little overblown, too. I mean, he was 189 um, in his first season between the majors and the minors. Um, he eclipsed 200 the following season. He had a lost year where he only threw 30 innings, and then last year he was at 154. So, I mean, 150-plus in three or four years is not a bad track record. It's probably better than Strasburg. Yeah, it is. Wait, um, let me ask you something. Um, I just can't remember. Was this year the year where uh, he was like, oh, I don't want to take the MRI, or was that last year? That was last year where he threw 30 innings. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, so, I mean, you can even argue that that's the Mets – Botching, botching this. Yeah, that, you know, he went out and he threw and he made it worse. Yeah. Where they could have prevented it. Yeah, yeah. it is possible. Um, but, and and skill-wise, I mean, you can't argue with the guy. I mean, he's he's got high 90s heat. He's got an arsenal that um, generates whiffs. Um, he's got the hard slider. He's got the big hammer curve. Change is pretty good as well. Um, so, I mean, he's got all the ingredients to be a top-end starting pitcher. NL, ballpark is good. Um, so, I mean, uh, he, and and the K rate wasn't great last year, but you look at the swing strike rate, and it was 13-plus percent. So, I see a very easy path to him um, exceeding last year's K rate, getting back over double digits in terms of K per nine you know, potentially getting up around 11. He's got good control as well, despite the fact that he throws a billion miles per hour. Um, so, yeah, I view him as an ace. I have no issue with him. And he's the type of guy that if he does throw a full season at peak, um, he could finish as the number one overall pitcher. So I have no qualms about this. Yeah, the injuries are there. But like you said, Joe, I mean, the injuries are there for everybody. It's just a reality of the situation. So I, I don't have any real doubts about this. I actually think he's a pretty decent value and a pretty decent shot to take given his price. Yeah, and especially um, like starting with the next guy we're going to talk about, Patrick Corbin. Um, we start hitting like legitimate, uh, maybe not talent concerns, but um, I don't know. I just feel like Syndergaard has a longer – well, he does. Syndergaard has a longer track record, right, than as opposed to someone like Corbin or Tyone or even Clevenger, right? So, like, we, we're reaching the point where Syndergaard's done this and has been the stuff guy for a number of years. So, yeah, that's why he's the last ace. Yeah, Kershaw aside, this is the random demarcation. Like, Kershaw's the exception because the ADP is – factoring in data from when he wasn't hurt. Yeah. So 
you take Kershaw out, and now now we're outside the aces, and we're into the quote unquote number twos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we got Patrick Corbin at fifteenth, fifty point three nine. Uh, Performance-wise, Corbin was one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's in a new location now. Uh, He obviously has some velocity questions from last year. Do you feel comfortable taking Corbin here? You take this one because you're the Corbin guy. Yeah, I I mean, I think this is roughly the right spot for him. Um, I I, I don't feel uncomfortable taking him here. Um, He was able to thrive even when the velocity was down last year. And it came back to around 91 by the end of the year. So whatever he was doing, whatever he was dealing with, started to resolve itself. Uh, the slow curve was really a missing piece for him. Now he works across three bands in terms of velocity with the three pitches that he throws. The fastball command is good enough that the whole package works, even though the fastball is not a great pitch. Um, but you need to worry a little bit about the amount he's outside the zone and whether hitters start to show more patience against him. But until I see that adjustment, I'm not terribly worried. Uh, and and I think Corbin's a guy that sort of um, – he's, he's always had good control. I have faith that the command is good and, and that he's throwing outside the zone purposefully uh, because he's been able to generate whiffs that way. I think that if things start, start to shift the other way, he'll adjust back. Uh, so I'm not terribly worried from that angle. Uh, you know, he's going to post a good K rate. He's going to post a decent walk rate. Um, so I'm not, I, I don't think the price is bad. I just don't know that I'm necessarily shopping at the top of this tier. Yeah. I mean, if you waited at this point, um, I mean, Corbin's not, Corbin's not a bad guy to go get at the top of this tier, I will say. I'd probably rather have Tyone if I needed a number one. Well, you need a double tap. You got to go Corbin Tyone, I think. That's that's probably true. That's probably true. I uh, the, the thing with Corbin is, right, it's like he's really got like two and a half pitches. That's kind of like how I like to say it, right? It's a fastball slider and then the slow slider or curve, whatever it is. Um. So there's there's like definitely a path where you know if he loses feel for some reason, um, he can you know he can really hurt you because like you said the fastball is not very good or it's not it's not not very good it's just not as good as a slider I mean he's got the best slider in the league. Um, yeah, but the fastball would be disastrous if the slider's not working. Sure, sure, and you know you mentioned that he was outside the zone a lot. I, I understand that. Um, I mean, you're right. Like, if if hitters decide or if hitters are able to pick it up, um, you know, maybe they can adjust. But all, all signs have pointed, and this this has been his career, right? That all signs have pointed to an excellent, excellent slider. It's just he needed that, like I would say, like that the second half of the pitch. Um, overall, I think you're right. I think if you're at this point, you got to double dip in this tier and go like Corbin, Corbin Clevenger, or you know, even Corbin Greinke, something like that. You got to get to him. Yeah, and Corbin's the guy that is sort of the upside guy. Um, I think Tyone's the upside guy. Oh, interesting. All right, well, we'll talk about Tyone later because I kind of feel the other way. Okay. Um, But in the meantime, let's talk about James Paxson, 56.47. 
Paxton posted a career-high innings pitch total and excellent skills. The results weren't as good. He saw the home run rate surge. Do you have concerns going into his first season in Yankee Stadium? Yeah, we had talked about this when the, the move first happened. Actually, before the move, hap- move happened. Um, so, I mean, I knocked him a few pegs down in ERA. Um, I think last year was kind of an outlier in the homer to fly ball rate. He probably grooved a couple, grooved a couple too many pitches um, than he should have. I, I Again, I think that's an outlier. I mean, sh- it's not going to come down all the way because he's going to be in Yankee Stadium, but it's not as high as it was. It shouldn't be as high as it was. And, I mean, he, he posted a ridiculous 32.3% K, K percentage. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed not to like Paxton. And, you know, if he he represents a really good guy to go get because even with replacement-level pitching that you'll probably have to bank in it with, like, 40 innings or so, um, that's still a, that's still a, a top-tier pitcher. Yeah, and, you know, I watched a lot of Paxton last year, and I think the home run problem – was sort of an anomaly. And I think a lot of it stemmed from he, we talked about this earlier when we came to Severino, but I think early in the year, he was sort of struggling with feel for his curveball. Um, you know, it was just, it was bouncing a lot. You know, it wasn't a good enough pitch for guys to offer at. And uh, he also got, I think, in my opinion, some bad luck on um, some poor framing jobs. Zanino is very good at framing and, and missed part of the early part of the season. And I think he got into some bad counts and um, just kind of got stuck. So I, I think it was a combination of a couple of different things that sort of led to that. Um, the home run rate has never been that high before. I, I think it was like 1.29 off the top of my head, and he's been a career 0.8 guy. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think moving to Yankee Stadium um, – the move isn't going to be as bad for him as some might project. I mean, he's obviously a left-handed pitcher. Uh, lefties are really the, the 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 side of the plate that make hay in Yankee Stadium. Um, Yankee Stadium is only slightly better for right-handed power than Seattle is. Um, I know Paxton struggled against lefties a little bit last year, but again, that's uncharacteristic with his norms. Uh, in years past, he's dominated lefties and particularly when you're talking about a lefty-on-lefty sample, it it becomes a bit noisy because the sample tends to be pretty small in any given season. So it might have just been some regression catching up to him um, or just, like I said, small sample noise. Um, So I'm not ready to panic on that end either. Um, Skills are obviously outstanding. He's got the arsenal to make it work. He's got premium fastball velocity, especially from the left side. And and I do have some faith in the Yankee staff, I, the, the Yankee coaching staff, because they've taken a lot of guys over the years and made them better. Um, and this is going to be Paxton's first foray outside of Seattle. And maybe the Yankees see something here that um, the Mariners didn't notice and they're able to unlock something as well. Um, I, I do believe that there could be something to that as well. Um, yeah, I, I think that Corbin and Paxton belong together. I think that they're extremely similar commodities. Um, Corbin's probably a bit more production risk. Paxton's probably a bit more health risk. 
mm-hmm. but they're both premium pitchers. And if you were to get a full season out of James Paxton, I think he would be a top 10 arm. Yeah. Okay. So let's move it to 17th. The aforementioned Jamison Tyone, 59.66. So, Joe, I'm just going to skip the intro to this one. I mean, you said that you view Tyone as the guy with upside. Why don't you tell me why? Yeah, so, all right. So, at first glance, I was like, I don't really understand why everyone's so high on Tyone. Um, the swing, the whiff rates on the the slider and the curveball were 14%. The fastball was, I think, 10 or 11%. Uh, I have it right here. Uh, it was 12%, which is actually pretty good. This is good for a fastball, yeah. Um, so I, I, I said to myself, okay, so, you know, the the whiff rates on these pitches aren't excellent. So that would explain why he's, like, in the, the mid-8s K per 9. And the swing strike rate also wasn't that good. It was or wasn't excellent, right? It was, like, 10.5%. So that would also explain it, right? But my thought process here is that, okay, so this is the first time he ever threw a slider, right? So he's not going to have the top tier command yet, even if he shows good command. He's not going to have the best command yet, and he's not going to have the the best pitch mix yet. So I think where the upside lies is if he decides to throw it more often or in better counts, coupled with the curveball, and if he can get a if he can get better, uh, a better use out of it, so increasing the whiff rate. Now, those are both things that may or may not happen. Um, there aren't really any signs to him doing anything differently. We don't, we'll have to see once he starts pitching again. Um, but I think there is a path to some upside. Yeah, see, I, I think that there's – I think this is more of a floor play. Now, I, I I don't disagree with you in principle. I mean, if he does something different, right, if he finds um, a different sort of combination or, or adds a pitch or something along those lines, he can improve. But you can say that for any pitcher. Well, I don't think he needs to add a pitch, though, right? I think it's just a mix, right? Because this is his first year throwing that slider. I, 18%. You I, know agree, what I, mean? I agree with you. He doesn't have to. I agree with you that he doesn't have to change it in terms of adding a pitch, but yeah. Okay. So, so fine. That's a valid point. So I I do, I do agree with you that, you know, he could increase the usage or use it differently. And that could be the key to unlocking it because I do think the slider gives him what he needs. Um, It allows him to work across three bands um, and it, it just sort of tied everything together. I remember the start because I was watching it in May when he started to throw it. Yeah, and, I remember you. And I was just it. like, ooh, what is this? And I immediately traded for him. <laughs> because <laughs> I was like, this is this is this is what he needs. Stop throwing the change up. And the pitch was working. Um I I just don't know that a team that has shown the sort of reluctance to move off the fastball is going to suddenly allow him to start to throw slider more. Now, when you look at Tyone's full season rates, you have to be careful though, because it was, it was late May when he started to throw that pitch and he threw it out of nowhere. It was like 30%. Boom. Like he hadn't thrown it all season. 
Mm -hmm. And from that point on, everything was better. The K rate was, was slightly better. The ERA was much better. Um, the s- skills and results were much better from that point on. So you have to be you have to be careful with that. And I think your point about his feel for the pitch is really valid. I mean, again, midseason starts throwing the slider out of nowhere. Yeah, it's and incredibly it was a, difficult. And it was a it was a it was a plus pitch, even if it wasn't you know, high, super high end. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and we've seen the curveball and we know the curveball is, is a nasty pitch, mm-hmm. um, at least from a movement perspective. So I, I think that's one that can actually take the step forward as opposed to the slider. Um, I, 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 I think that that's where the mix can get better, but in any event, I, I don't know that I see him as a guy that's going to throw, for more than nine and a half Ks per nine. He is a contact suppressor, so he may not need much more than that. But to me, nine and a half Ks per nine, good control. It's going to be really hard for him to crack the top 10 annually. I mean... That he might find his way there through attrition. Yeah, so so I guess I should I should uh, expand a little bit what I meant, right? So with Corbin, I don't know if there's any surplus value, whereas I think Tyone, if he makes some changes, can still provide a little bit more than where he's being drafted. Is what I is kind of what I meant. Do I agree with you that I think Tyone probably maxes out at like nine and a half k per nine? Yeah, that's probably true. So he's still probably n- not better at than uh, than um, Corbin's best, but I think there's room for more. Is what I meant. Okay, all right, I, and I think I'm on board with that. But I do see him, even though he doesn't have like the sort of like stable track record at this point, as a guy that's fairly stable. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, 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 I'm, like, there's zero worry about about Tyone. Like, to me, he is prototypical SP2. Yes. Like, super safe. Super safe, yeah. Like, sound skills, not going to hurt you, going to give you good ratios, and he's going to let you chase your upside down the road. Yep. Okay. All right. Now, now this next guy is... Maybe not so super safe. All right, so Strasburg, 18th, uh, 62.19. You know, I post this question on Twitter, and and I post it to you as well. You know, with the decline of the 200-inning starting pitchers, well-documented, shouldn't we be valuing Strasburg's 150 or so innings pitched more and not less? Uh. Yeah, I think so. the The only problem is, is that he's not always at 150. <laughs> he like bounces around 120, 130. Yeah, but you can say the same thing about James Paxton, right? No, I know, I know. Um, uh, overall, yeah, I think you you have some. Uh, that's a that's a good argument, and um, I mean, this stuff's still there, right? Like he's got a K percentage north of 28. percent Um, the changeup is still you know, probably one of the best in the league. Um, 
he was only homer prone last year. Aside from that, he's been, you know, very good at suppressing home runs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I think Strasburg is a fine number number two. Um, I'm not really worried at all. He's, you know, he's not really losing much on the VLO at this point. I mean, he lost a tick, but um, he had been that low before in 2016 in the 94 range. Um and even in 2014. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really that worried. I, I'd be okay with taking Strasburg. Um, I don't know if I'd rather have him over Paxton or Corbin or Tyone, but I'm comfortable with him here. Yeah, it's just I, I've sort of sensed a, a feeling of apathy towards Strasburg. It's it's less about – Yeah, there's no sex appeal, as Jay puts Yeah, yeah, there's no – there's nobody honking their horn for, for Strasburg at this point. Um, and you know, last year was the worst professional season of his career in terms of results. Um, but it was a relative match to Paxton's aside from the innings. Um, you know, the K rate was very similar. The ERA was very similar. And yet Paxton is, you know, generated a lot of buzz and Strasburg is kind of like, uh. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll put it down the road, you know, um, I'm aware that Strasburg's velocity dropped in the second half. I'm not terribly worried about it because he can, I still think he can live at 93, 94. Um, and I'm not terribly worried about it because I don't know for a fact that those couple of ticks aren't going to come back because it wasn't some health related issue that was resolved with rest in the off season. All he'll ever really need to do is just make sure that the difference between his fastball and changeup stay true. Right. Like once he starts losing ticks on the fastball, you just will need to take a little bit off the changeup. Yeah, and we've seen it. We've seen it with him in the past, where I think his best seasons are with the change. Where the the the, the changeup has has been pretty premium, but he really rides or dies with the slider in terms of when he has his good seasons, right? Uh, I is isn't it mostly curveball? It's one of the two. Okay, yeah, I think I think it's curveball, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I it might think be a classification thing. Sure, sure, sure. That's okay. But se- other secondary pitch. <laughs> yeah, the breaker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, let's see. the 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 largest usage was in seventeen, fifteen, and thirteen, and he had K per nines of ten point four, ten point nine. And then it was pretty low in 13, but I mean, but those are, that's like a premium K rate. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's like, very good. Like, so that's, you're, that's you're higher you're than guards ever had. You're getting your, you're getting your bang for the buck. You know, the innings he's going to give you, you know, to be fair, right? Like I, 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 I'm just realizing this now, but yeah, Strasburg's 10.8 K per nine is larger than Syndergaard's ever had. I think. You just double check that. Yeah, Syndergaard's career high in K per nine is ten point six eight. Ten point six eight. Okay. So like, yeah, right. That this is just more on your point, right? Like Strasburg's like, oh, ten point eight. How boring it's Strasburg. But he's great. Yeah, he's great. Like he's he's legitimately very good. The thing is, is that like he came into the league and he had this premium pedigree and he had a lot of hype and he's 
been more very good than elite and he's also been hurt and now people are getting tired of him but uh i i frankly i like him at this price like i mean if like tyone is again tyone's my guy that's like super solid sp2 i feel like i can rely on him but among the straw among the strasburg paxton corbin group i think i most want strasburg because he's the cheapest that's fair that's fair. Yeah, I probably have. Uh, you're right, right? Because I said I have Paxton and Corbin and Tyone ahead of him, but since he's the cheapest, I think you're right. Okay, how do we feel about Mike Clevenger, nineteenth, sixty-four point four five, the Indians' fourth starter? Which is funny to say they have four starters inside the top twenty because their starting pitching is excellent. Uh, what do you make of his second half surge? Is it a breakout or just a hot streak? Uh, I mean, he got stronger, right? Like, as you mentioned, as the year went on, he improved the whiff rate on almost every one of his four pitches. Um, I, I mean, I think there's a lot to say that Clevenger grew as a pitcher this year. Um, I'm still a little worried, right? He still has some um, control issues, uh, but even still, um, he's still – like I just said, he's growing as a pitcher, um, and I, I'm largely on board. I think this is also a really good price for Clevenger. Uh, this is a solid SP2. Uh, yeah, he's in the Tyone range where it's an extremely solid SP2. You don't have many reservations about it, right? Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel at this point. Yeah, that, I feel that way as well. I mean – I, I, the biggest change that I see in him was that there was a degree of command and confidence, uh, a willingness to come inside the zone more yeah. than in years past. Um, you know, and his career is limited. So, I mean, I say years, but you know, in, in his prior seasons, it, it seems as though Clevenger was trying to nibble a little bit too much this year. He really began to trust his stuff more. Yeah, highest zone percentage, highest first strike percentage. The first strike, first strike percentage was near 70%. 64. Uh, 64. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's a – he was trying to get ahead of hitters and he was trying to punch them out. Um, the fastball sits 93-94. He's got a plus slider and a change in a curve that were also above average. Um, I, I think greater feel for the secondary stuff is possible. Um so I mean I do think there's a little bit of upside, but I, I do I do worry that the control is never going to be great, and I think that's ultimately what keeps him from sort of becoming uh, an an ace and entering that sort of conversation. But I, I could definitely see a run here where he's like a top thirty starting pitcher for the next several years, um, and yeah, I, I think that again you sort of have this you have this line of demarcation where. You move from the aces to the SB2s, and now you're seeing two groups kind of form where you have your your high risk, very productive, limited innings in Corbin, Paxton, um, Strasburg, and you've got your very, very solid SB2s where you can trust them, but they're not going to be quite as spectacular um, in short bursts as the other two in Clevenger and Tyone. And, and Clevenger presents the premium K upside, but it's just the control just isn't as good. And you worry about um, the homers leaving the yard with guys on base. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think this is right, though, that Clevenger is at the bottom of all of these guys. Yeah, I agree. I agree because you, you do worry about the walks. Yep. Okay, Zach Reiki, 65.59. So, like with Strasburg, I think we might have hit a little old and boring with Granke, um, but he's definitely still valuable. Do you think Granke continues his run of solid production, or is this the year the wheels come off? So, uh, first things first is humidor. Yep. But uh, seriously, right, I know we were all concerned at the beginning of last year with the velo drop. The velo drop happened, um, and he still managed to pitch okay. Um, I think what what he'll probably do is just start to de-emphasize the fastball and use the secondary stuff more and more. Um, the secondary stuff's still really good, right? All uh, 15% uh, or higher whiff rates, which is really excellent for three secondary pitches. Um, you know, uh, we'll talk about – will we talk about – yeah, we'll talk about Bumgarner a little bit later. I think Granke will probably have a smoother ride aging, continuing to age, than Bumgarner might, as Bumgarner relies on the fastball a little bit more. Um, yeah, all told – at first, I was like, eh, Granky, the velo's bad. But, yeah, the secondary stuff's still good. And he's, you know, he's not unlike Kluber in a lot of ways. So. Yeah, that's um, a that's a good comp, I think. And I think that's kind of how Kluber will age as well, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Like, you have to, if you rely on the fastball, then it's hard once you start losing it. If you have three secondary offerings that are all good, then you can live with it. Yeah. Yeah. All you have to do is command it and just not throw it as much. Um, And Greg is sort of funny. I mean, like I I said this to you the other day. I mean, I was curious to see where his velo sat because the big, because the, the big deal was made last year about his velo. I think he was coming in at like 84, 85. And he threw he threw 88 in his first spring start. And I was just like, all right. Oh, nothing to worry about there. Meanwhile, if anybody else throws 88, you're like, oh, God, he's except Except gone. if it's Kyle Hendricks. <laughs> yeah, well, Hendricks is like that too. Well, that was like uh, Michael Fulmer today. Yeah, well, Fulmer, like threw 80, yeah Fulmer threw 89 to 91. Yeah, that is a good look. huge concern. Yeah, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. Um. But with Granky, it's like, all right, great. Like, that's – I can live with that as long as it's not like 84. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, where, where, when, when he becomes Jamie Moyer, it becomes a problem. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. The secondary stuff is great. He's got four pitches with a 15% whiff rate. Um, he also has the combination of um, – the combination of pitches he throws – he can also get the batted ball outs that he need that he might need. Excuse me. Um, he's he's got three pitches that generate plenty of fly balls, and then his change generates upwards of seventy percent grounders. So like he's able to get guys out when they're on base. Um, interestingly enough, he also is more willing to walk guys when. They're on, when he has guys on base, he's not going to give in. So the home run rate doesn't affect him as much as you might think. Might think he's not going to, you know, throw a bad pitch on three one for the sake of getting a strike. You got the hiccups over there. Yeah, I've got the hiccups. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, I will attempt to get rid of them. 
Um, Hold but, your breath. Yeah, I will. As soon as, as, soon as I'm <laughs> done talking. Um, I'm making but, that hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, it, and, and, and I think the control is, is a major key. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't um, put guys on so you can live with the K rate being sub, sub nine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like Ranky a lot at this price. He sort of falls into that. He's very solid. Um, SP2. All right, Jack Flaherty, 65.81, another podcast favorite. Um, we made bank last year between him and Snell and Corbin. What's the encore look like? Is there any danger of Luke Weaver 2.0? So there's no danger of Luke Weaver 2.0 because the depth charts projection on Fangraphs has him for 477 wins and 409 oh. losses. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, uh, Jack Flaherty is really good. He's going to win all the games. No, but uh, seriously. Um, no, I don't think there's any way that Flaherty's like uh, Weaver. Um, not with a 13.4% swing strike rate. Flaherty or Weaver was, I don't know what, it was like 8% or 9%. So Flaherty is much more of the real deal. Um, a 24% whiff rate on the slider and a 16% whiff rate on the curve. Um, his secondary stuff's legit. He just really needs to work on the control and probably attacking hitters a smidge as a 57% first strike percentage is not very good. Um, he is excellent at sequencing, though, so I think he can take a step forward, but he's going to have to reel those strikes in. Yeah, I think Flaherty is legit and not Luke Weaver. Slider is devastating, and he's got plus velo coming from the left side, plus a show-me curve. 13% swing strike rate means that he's here to stay. I would like to see him with a little bit better control, but I could see like a Clevenger-esque step forward there um, where he takes sort of a half step and then hopefully t takes another um, I think the change lurks as a big piece of the puzzle. If he can find his way to that pitch and turn it into a decent offering, I think he's got everything he needs. Uh, I think he's got legitimate ace upside. I mean, he just needs a couple of tweaks. The ballpark is also good. The team is competitive. He's in the NL. Um, I think this ranking reflects who he is, but I, I think he's a case where there is more um, or at least a potential for more to come. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, so Jose, Jose Barrios, 76.05. So convince me there's another level here because I just don't see it. Okay, well, so um, there's a path. That path is either developing the changeup somehow or just getting rid of it. And making well, it can't just be a two-pitch guy. No, no, I know. But if he gets rid of it, he's got to get something else. Um, so he's definitely got to make a change as he stands right now. If he's going into the year, throwing the fastball upwards of 60% of the time, the curveball 30% of the time and the change up 10% of the time. Uh, I don't really know if there's much here. Um, so he's got, he has to make a change. That's, that's what it comes down to. He, he pretty much is the pitcher he is. And that's if he changes something. So, I'm not really doing a good job of convincing you. <laughs> yeah, so you're you're with me though. Like you don't think that this is a good price. Um, no. 
No, I don't. I have him. I have him three down. I have him at twenty-five, but I could easily move him down even further. So you're checked out when he's on the board, basically, is what you're telling me. Yes. Yeah. 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 Again, right? Like it's just the the curveball is good. It looks good. It's just not. It hasn't produced results, and the changeup is bad. Yeah, and it's either it's bad or he just has no confidence in it. You know, I mean the the path from the path for Berrios reminds me a lot of Julio Tehran. I mean, there was a time where Julio Tehran was the number one pitching prospect in baseball, hmm. um, and the third pitch just never came for him. Now Berrios's fastball is better than Tehran's ever ever was. But I still think it's a pretty good comparison, uh, considering the pedigrees, the quality of the breaking pitch. Um, he's going to need another offering, take another step, whether it's a changeup, takes a step forward, or maybe a slider or a cutter, sort of like Tyone did as a guy that's got a fastball and a curve. Um, either way, I think this draft cost is paying for something that hasn't happened yet. Um, he's got homer issues. The control is fine, but it's not elite. The whiff rate of 11%. Leads probably to an increase of cape in the caper nine department closer to 10. But other than that, I, I just don't see much to warrant this purchase price. I, I'm, I, and I'm with you. Like I've got him not so far from this range, but it's, it's an artificial ranking. It's, it's, it's one of those things where I'll never see him because I view him as part of a tier that goes for days. Yeah. So Berrios is a guy that I'm, I'm like very interested in because, um, like I want to see if he tries to do anything differently, and he's like a great candidate to jump on if he does, right? So like maybe the first month he's not doing anything, maybe he's like Tyon esque where like he's tinkering with another pitch. If there's anything in the data that suggests that he's throwing something differently, I'm much much more interested, and I'd be willing to go you know, go after and chase him. But until that happens, um, I think he is who he is. Yeah, and sitting there and preparing for this show, that's that's what struck me about Berrios is he should probably take a nice long look at what Tyone did last year because he is primarily a fastball curveball guy with the change that he just doesn't have the faith in. And maybe throw like a hard slider. Yeah, and I and, joked around, right? But like, you know, watch uh, Pineda, right? Pineda's not the the perfect example of, of good pitching, but he's got a pretty good slider, you know? Mm-hmm. So like now that Pineda's over there, you know, watch Pineda throw the slider and, and give it a go. Yeah, and Kyle Gibson, I think, has a pretty good slider too. I mean, but he's been there, so. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, you know, the but he is. He is the type of guy that you need to watch and see if there's another pitch. But you're paying for that other pitch that yeah. doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Which is the problem. Uh yeah, at twenty two, right? I think at the later twenties you're not at yeah. that point. Okay, Madison Bumgarner, seventy seven point two four. So the stuff has been lackluster and the market thinks it's in decline. Are you on board with that, or do you think Bumgarner bounces back with full health for the first time in years? Okay, so at one point I had Bumgarner as low as 38. Um, 
But with the recent news that he's pumping 93 again, I am way more interested again. I'm yeah. like way back in. The the fastball was an absolute train wreck. Uh, with the the decreased velo and after the the shoulder injury, but when he's pumping 93 and the fastball is back, I mean we're talking about like top six or seven pitcher again. So he's never thrown 93, like across a full season. I I yeah that I mean 93 from a lefty is ridiculous. So that's not surprising. Yeah, you have to, you do have to worry about the command issues. I'm not convinced those are resolved in terms of the fastball command, which he has struggled with. Now, I don't know if the command issues were a byproduct of injury. I don't know whether it was a byproduct of lack of faith in in the fastball itself because it was getting hammered, Um, whatever. But the fact that he's throwing 93 signals to me that he's healthy. And even if there are some kinks to work out, as we saw last year, that ballpark makes up for a lot of mistakes. So, yeah, I'm I'm back in, relatively speaking. I mean, I've got him in the low 20s. I mentioned before I've got him in front of Kershaw currently. Yes. Um, he's He's got enough secondary stuff um, that if the fastball is back to uh, a level where it's average or better, that he can put together a very, very nice season and be a very good value um, where he's going. And I think there's enough doubt in the market that he's going to stay relatively reasonably priced. Um, I do think he's another one of the guys that maybe you want to double tap. Um, you know, if you're if you're taking him as SP2, maybe you want to take – Clevenger or Tyone as well, um, or somebody else that um, you believe that you can trust uh, in, in the same vicinity, um, just because there is that lingering doubt in my mind that maybe the command won't come back even with the Velo. Um, and you've also got to remember, too, he's only ever pitched in San Francisco. This is the last year of his deal. They're not going to be very good. Yeah. So most likely he's going to get traded somewhere, and we don't know how he's going to perform in a traded in, in a situation where he's traded. If he goes to Milwaukee, for instance, that's like the polar opposite of San Francisco. Yeah. And I don't know that it would work out great for him. And Bumgarner's never been a guy that's been a strictly heavy strikeout guy. Like he's never been like an eleven plus K per nine guy. He's always lived in that somewhere between 10 and 9 in terms of K per 9 with pretty good control. So he's let the ballpark do a lot of the work for him in the past. Um, So I just worry that maybe if he shifts to a less favorable park, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt um, and the benefit of the fly balls as much. And suddenly he's like a – He's Kyle Hendricks with the Homer problem. Yeah. Yeah. See, so I like I think the I think the case can come back if he's pumping 93 though, right? Like that's a big thing. But yeah, yeah that, if the K's are back though, like they're back to like a relative level, right? Like, sure, sure, back sure. To, like, but like nine not, and a half. Yeah, nine and a half isn't bad though. But yeah, I mean, that's all it comes down to. It's it's health, really. If he's not if he's not healthy, 
I'm so far out. Right, like before before the news of spring training, I was never ever going to own Bubba Runner. There was not a chance. Yeah, well, last year was ugly. I mean, like it was it was just well, ugly. It, it's not even just last year though. The year before wasn't like excellent either, right? Like his his he relies so much on the fastball sinker sort of thing going on that. Right, like the sec- thats what it- that's what I was alluding to before. Like the second he starts to lose it, it's not going to be very pretty. Yeah, and I-, I think that we also need to point out that it's 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 not just it's it's like he's missed a lot of time over the last two years. And, and this goes back to the point about injuries that we spoke about earlier with Kershaw. And this is why I'm often on about injuries and, and about how we don't know as much as we think we do. Bumber is a guy that's got a lot of innings. Like he's thrown a lot of innings in, in a very confined period of time because the Giants have made a deep run and he's a horse. Um, but now he's had two years where like they've been abbreviated. So, Maybe this is the key to him getting back some of what he's lost. Yeah, that's fair. And the arm is fresher than it's been um, in years. And that sort of unlocks the key, which is sort of what what my theory is about these injuries is um, when you think you know too much about it, you know, there are people out there that were that are in best ball leagues that got bum garner at an absurd discount. And the second he threw 93, everybody was like, oh my God, I'm back in. Yeah. So you, you just have to be careful of that sort of stuff and be mindful of it when it comes to, well, maybe maybe he wasn't fully healthy, but now I'm going to give him five months off. And last year he only threw 70 innings as opposed to 220. <laughs> And suddenly the arm is fresh, and that fixes all the problems, at least for one year, right? Yeah. Okay, so we got Mike Fulton-Nevich, 24th, 83.42. It was a breakout year for Fulty. Do you think it is sustainable? Yeah. Uh, so. Nope. Yeah. We're big be- we were big believers. I mean, we still are big believers of Fulty, but he's improved for sure. But with the 250 BAPIP, 77% strand rate, a sharp decrease in home runs for nine. I expect some serious regression here back to the mean. Um, I mean, I know Fulty's good. The slider is wicked, but the fastball is not really, even though it's, it's extraordinarily fast. It's not like a really great pitch. Nope. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about this one. Yeah. I, I think there's some regression here. Um, you know, the, the swing strike rate doesn't support the K rate. Um, so I think there's some regression there. Um, he's always been a guy that's got Homer problems. He's always been a guy with so-so control. He's always got so-so control. So it, there's just a lot of different stuff going on here that hasn't been resolved by the underlying data. Now, he's gotten better. I mean, I'll give him that. Like, he's, yeah. he's definitely – he definitely took a step forward last year. It's just, it's not to a top 25 type level skill wise. I think it's much more of like a top 40 level. 
Um, so I think he's squarely inside that sort of SP, S, SP3, SP4 group. And he's really going almost as an SP2. So again, I think it's kind of like Berrios. I'm sort of out um, because I think I can get someone of a similar quality later. And, you know, there's, there's a pretty wide range of outcomes when it comes to Fultonavich. We've seen it now over a couple of years. Um, you know, I sort of view him similar to Chris Archer in terms of, you know, sort of what I can foresee for him. I mean, we had that one big year from Archer and since then it's kind of been, um, you know, a lot of years where there's some stuff to like, but it never ends up being as good as you want it to be. Um, and he doesn't have Archer's K rate. He doesn't have Archer's control. But just in terms of range of outcomes, that's sort of the path I think we're headed down. Um, you know, like I would personally project him into like the high threes ERAs with a decent K rate and a decent win total. But it's just it's not worth the price of admission in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think right, like I don't know, we're just so. So the fastball was definitely better last year. Um, I kind of misspoke that you know the spin rate was darn good the velo was obviously elite so it was better last year but i don't know we're just like so close to him having been not that good um and in fact pretty bad that i i just can't i i don't know i just can't like erase that from my mind right well, like he, he, he i mean i know he made steps forward but yeah and i mean there's also a quality of contact issue here. I mean, the the hard contact rate went up to like 35%. There's, there's just a lot here that says he's not as good as he was. And you're, you're not quite paying for what he was, but you're not far from it either. Um, so you're, you're paying a top 24 price for a top 20 upside with a floor that's like, 90, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's definitely a world where he's like a 4.3, 4.4 ERA guy. Right. You know, I'm, how did he actually manage to, to have such a high K rate? Right. So his swing strike rate was below league average. His Z contact was 84%. So it's not like he was missing all the bats in the zone. Did he just? He must have just gotten a lot of call strikes. Yeah, I I was gonna say that like he sort of reminds me a little bit of Luke Weaver. Yeah, year over year, um, in terms of how he got there. Right, like his K. But he doesn't have he doesn't have Weaver's command or control, right? His K percentage last year was twenty seven percent, twenty seven point two percent, despite the below league average swing strike rate, and um, I don't know what league average Z contact is. Let me get that because I think that's pretty important to this conversation. Um, so league average zone contact percentage, 85.5%. So, so it's just below. Just below, just below. So that's, I mean, that's, I guess, a good thing. But still, it's not like he was like, you know, 79%. Yeah. Where like everything in the zone was still getting swung at and missed or looked at. So, yeah, I don't know. 
I think that that 9.9k per nine might be a little bit of a fallacy. Yeah. And if that comes down and the homers go up and the Babbitt goes up and the control stays flat, it's, it, it's just, it's not a great profile. It's just not a great package in my mind. Okay, let's move it to German Marquez. Number 25 is going to be the last guy we talk about tonight, 84.09. Fantasy owners are apparently unafraid of cores, are you? Uh, and Joe, I fully expect you to spend some time on Herman Marquez. Well, yeah, so, um, all right, the good, right? The curveball was obviously the, the money pitch, right? Um, even in 17, it was an excellent pitch, tons of spin, very hard to hit. He brought that into 18 and introduced a slider, right? That's where the huge gains come from, a la Tyone, a la what Berrios should do, right? This is the path, right? Two-pitch pitcher, fastball, curveball, introduce the slider, results. Now, with that said, he's... Yeah, Berrios, he's, idiot. <laughs> he's always had trouble in cores. Um, for his career... He's uh, a 4.5 ERA in cores and a 3.75 ERA away. Last year, it was, um, let's see, it was 5, 4.74 home, 2.95 away. And in that second half where he really started to excel, I think he had more away, away games than home games. So I like this stuff a lot. I think at the end of the day, you'll probably close your eyes and he'll probably be right where he was again at like 3.75 or so. But you pretty much can only start him at home or away, which is like only going to be half his games, right? So you're paying for a pitcher that's going to start 18 or so games, but be excellent in those 18 games. So it's sort of it's sort of like the kind of Rich Hill argument, right? Do you pay for 100, 110 innings of, you know, excellent baseball or not? And the problem is, is that Rich Hill is a lot cheaper. Kent Ameda is a lot cheaper. Ross Stripling is a lot cheaper. So I've actually cooled my jets on Marquez a lot. Wow. All right. I was, I was surprised by that. Um I mean, listen, the second half was uncanny. It was 2.61 ERA, 1.0 whip, 12K per nine, a 6.2K to walk ratio. Those are spectacular numbers no matter how you cut it. Um, and there is a little bit of a change that signaled it. I mean, there was em a, a, he emphasized his slider more. It was up about 7%. And he emphasized his fastball about 7%. Now, that's a change, and it's slight, but – I think that you can believe at least some of it based upon how good the slider is. Uh, the BABIP in the second half was at 313, so there's no um, real BABIP luck involved. Um, and that offsets some of my concern with the rise in hard contact rate in the second half, up to 41%. But still, it's cores. It's an extremely difficult place to pitch. And while there's discernible changes here, they're not extreme. The good news is the price is not completely out of hand. He's at 25, and I think that's likely because of John Gray um, from last year that people are a little bit wary. I think that if you put Marquez 
someplace else in terms of, you know, a pitcher having that sort of second half. He would likely be easily inside the top 20. Um, but I, I'm with you, Joe. I, I think I'm with the projections here. I think he's like a 3.5, 3.75 ERA guy. I expect the league to adjust back a little bit um, to what he was doing. I still think cores is a problem. I still think that the hard contact is a bit of a problem. Um, and, uh, and like with Fulty, I think that there's a fairly wide range of outcomes. Now, I've got a little more faith in Marquez because I think the stuff is better. I agree. But I, I, I do think it's like a 3.5 to 3.75 package in, in the middle. And I think that there's uh, a world where it's like upwards of four and a half uh, if everything goes awry like we've seen before. So let's see. One, two, uh, what do, when's the second half? June, right? More or less. Um, the second half of the season? Yeah. It was later. It was like September. It was like a July 20th let's say so. Okay, so uh, home, home. I mean, he was he was much better at home in the second half too. Yeah, he was just an overall better pitcher in the second half. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm at 26 on Marquez, right? So I'm not really that much further down. Um, Let me take a look to see where I am while you. So he, he and since uh, from June 30th on, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven starts at home, and the most amount of earned runs he gave up was three. Yeah. See, again, it's the same old story. I've got him at 29. So it's. It's a big group of guys, and it's a big group where I'm not shopping. Yeah, see, I still might chase it because I, I'm, I don't know. I, I again, I, I, in one breath, I said I cooled on him, but that's because I was really high on him. I was at like 19 at one point, um, but I fell back down to his ADP. Um, uh, the secondary stuff is really just so good that. I think I'm okay with rolling the dice. And the fastball, like you said, isn't as bad as John Gray's. I think you said that, but it's not. It's not as bad as Gray's. It's bad, but it's not as bad as Gray's. So, um, yeah, I think, I think I'm okay with taking him here. All told. Okay, so he's, he's in your range of outcomes. To me, he's sort of an arbitrary rank, and he's got – a guy I'm going to end up with because I view him as part of a, a giant tier of players that are largely all the same. Yeah, like I even considered him in TGFBI. It didn't work out the way I was constructing, but yeah, I considered him there. We didn't discuss him tonight, but I'm curious. Do you like him or Darvish? I have Darvish over Marquez, and that's why Marquez is at 26 instead of 25. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, I was just curious. Okay, well, that'll wrap us up for us tonight. We'll be back next week with SP2. Uh, we're going to do it in three parts because we love talking about starting pitchers. Uh, Joe, let them know where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, at Joe FWO. I'm 
one of many people tweeting my TGFBI thread. So I, I hope you like to know all about my fantasy baseball teams. Yeah, and speaking of which, don't be such a freaking grouch. I mean, come on now. It's just a bunch of people posted about fantasy baseball. I, I don't, I don't get why that was such like a controversial issue this week on fantasy baseball Twitter. I mean, isn't that the, isn't that the freaking point? Yeah, I don't know why everyone cared. <laughs> I, now, I, now, now the brawl is uh, whether or not um, there should be a Champions League. Yeah, I heard about that too. I'm not yeah, gonna comment on that. Yeah, yet. I don't know. Bunch of babies. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Justin. Though. Yes, and th- thank you very much, Justin Mason, for putting it together. We will review our respective drafts later in the month. Um, you can find me on Twitter at PatrickFWO, and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Peace out.